0: And perhaps maybe say around at the age of 15, 16. By a quest, I want to know that I am able, a lot of teenage girls anyway, I'm able to get any man I want. There's a desire in the heart to say, I am, I'm going to prove that I can get what I want, that I'm in charge. And therefore, you watch the way that they stand, the way that they interact with, other, with a lot of guys, the way that they interact with adults, and the way they interact with one another, there's again an identity quest. I want you, the world, to tell me that I am able to get anybody I want. And that's often what will be, the, not the only one, but that's one of many. I want you to tell that I'm in the center of things, that I count, that I have meaning. I want you to tell me who I am. You find it tragically, funnily enough, the quest that teenagers have to know who they are is also something you see in different cultures in, expressed in horrible ways because often the reason child soldiers are able to be recruited or the reason kids in Western countries get into gangs is because people are able to come up, older people, and give them a sense of identity And within a year, by giving a child a sense of identity and a gun and saying you get respect, you find that that person who was nothing at all like this is now able to kill people his own age. Because you've given him identity. You've said, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to answer Jason Bourne's question for you. I'm going to tell you, you are rock hard. You're an animal. And you will be able to shape people to do terrible things just by giving them a sense of meaning, purpose, and identity. And that is because people are lost. It's because people don't know. We don't get born in the world with an answer to that question, who am I and what am I here for? So we look for the answer anywhere we can find it. And if you're a 16-year-old girl and your boyfriend can answer that question for you because he's 22, then you will ask him to tell you who you are. And you will very quickly become the person that you believe yourself to be. Because you're lost and that guy seems to give you a sense of being found. And for those of you who are smugly sitting there thinking, well, I'm in my 50s, that doesn't apply to me. You are, all of us, have exactly the same question. And many of us, in fact, haven't found the answer even by the time we're 55 or 75. I know a lot of the old people I know are just as lost as anybody. Just, did my life count? Have I done anything of lasting value at all? This might sound all a little bit miserable, but I want to tell you that the reason that's there, there's good news coming, but the reason that's there is because there's a problem in your heart, which is that you're lost. There's an outstanding book by a guy called Donald Miller, who's an American um, writer. He kind of writes almost like social sketches of things, and he makes the point that if a Martian was to come down to Earth and spend time hanging out on planet Earth, Donald Miller says, the thing the Martian would ask is, what are these people trying to decide... In the way that they interact with each other. Why do they do game shows? I don't understand the game. I I, I can't see why people compete against each other to prove that they're cleverer than each other. Why do they play sports? Why do they? Why does somebody you know score an amazing um, just slam dunk in basketball and kind of like this and puff themselves out? Why do they think they're better than someone else because they can put a round thing through another round thing? Why do they think when someone scores a match of the day last night, why do they just behave like little children with celebration as a result of kind of kicking a round thing into a big rectangular thing, which doesn't look that hard. What, why do they, what are they trying to decide? Why do they spend so much of their time, this race of human beings, imagine him going back to the chief Martian, why do they do this? I, these are the questions I have. Why do they collate as many of these rectangular greenish pieces of paper as they can in their lives? Why does that count as valuable to them? What are they trying to decide? And I found that a very provocative sketch that actually the Martian would come down and say, I don't understand why you guys are competing against each other in everything you do. Why are some people regarded as being better than others for having more wealth or status or power or for people who appear on screens? Why do they suddenly become better? So a human being who appears on a, on a screen in someone's living room is suddenly a better type of person and everyone else wants to be like them. And why do they do that? And I think the answer, that he, the answer that he gives actually is that we are all in our hearts a little bit lost and we're trying to find the answer. Tell me who I am and why I'm here. And that's the problem that we have. So comparing ourselves is part of the human condition. I want to be prettier, stronger, quicker, cleverer wealthier than someone else. That will tell me who I am. And there's a reason for that lostness. And here it is. We were created to have the answer to that question given to us by the God who made us and not by one another. So, the teenagers who stand around wanting one another to tell them who they are are actually no more likely to find that answer than the adults who compete in the corporation with their business cards and their money and their jobs, or than the teachers who want to be somehow a little bit more kind of risky and on edge than all the other t- teachers. None of those social groups will tell you who you are. You've been made, as I said, I'm going to assume there's a God and a problem, but if there's a God, you have been made by Him to know who you are from Him. And not from one another. And that's the, that's the source of that question. We're supposed to go, tell me who I am, God, the one who made me. But instead, we say, stuff God, he might tell me something I don't want to know. Why don't you tell me who I am? Why don't people in my church, as a pastor, tell? why don't you tell me who I am? <gasps> oh, wonderful preacher, love it. Oh, have you sold how many books have you sold? <gasps> you must be, and I am so tempted to ask them who I am. It's so insidious. And you guys, teenagers, old people, you will turn to one another and say, tell me I count. Tell me that my life has meaning. And so instead of turning to God, we turn to one another. And sexual relationships start in teenage years because kids want to know who they are. Teenagers want to know who they are. A guy wants to know that he's a real man, which is why he starts having sex with his girlfriend. A girl wants to know that she's a real woman. And that's why she starts having sex with her boyfriend. It's not nothing more um, complicated than that. It's a very basic question. Affirm me. Tell me who I am. That's why it happens. That's why some of you in here are doing those things. Because you believe that you will find an answer to the longing in your soul by talking to another human being about it. And that's why you express yourselves like that. That's why people compete so aggressively. That's why people dress the way they do. Make statements about the way they are. People, funnily enough, I've discovered this, people don't even mind having a negative connotation so long as there's someone. I'm amazed at how many people don't seem to mind being referred to as a bitch. In fact, they almost wear it as a label of honour. A lot of teenagers do, because they feel that that at least means there's something, someone. Guys don't mind being regarded as an animal who doesn't care about anything. That's a negative label, but they wear it with pride because it means there's something. We're lost. And we were supposed to go to God with the question... And instead, we asked one another. But you know what? Other people aren't big enough to tell you who you are. It's not just that you shouldn't ask them, it's that they'll never be able to give you a decent answer. They're not big enough. You guys, as lovely as you are, when you clap, and no doubt when we have coffee afterwards, some will come up and say, Thank you for that point, I enjoyed that. You guys are not big enough to give me the sense of meaning that my heart craves. My wife is not big enough to give that to me. If I state my hope on her affirmation, she's not big enough. She's just too small. She's just another person who, in her own way, might be just as lost as me. The only place I can go with that question, tell me who I am and why I'm here, is the almighty God who made me. And if I look anywhere else, I'm going to find the answer just isn't big enough. And ask John Rockefeller, ask Bill Gates, ask the people who've made more money than you could ever count or spend. And they'll say, even I don't get made happy by all of this because I still don't know who I am defined by my wealth. Or, and you say the same to Britney Spears. In whose mic, by the way, we are imitating here today, which I'm quite enjoying. Uh, But you could say the same to Brittany. You could, have you found who you are in your staggering success at a young age? And of course, those of you who read the magazines will come to the conclusion, no, she really doesn't know who she is as a result of her success. We're not destined to find out who we are from one another, but from God. So we're all lost. It sounds gloomy, doesn't it? We are all lost. We don't know who we are. And we're created for a world with meaning And I want to, in order to propose the three solutions that are given to that problem, I want to tell you a story that Jesus told from Luke chapter 15. Uh, You can turn there if you like to check that I'm not spouting heresy, but I'm not going to read it all from the Bible. I just want to tell you the story. And it's a story Jesus told about two lost sons. And what happens is you've got a dad. Now, is, is Truman and Rian both here? Can you put your hands up if they are both... Okay, you're here. Okay, great. Truman and Rian are going to help me out because they're the two people here I know the best. Um, And Truman, just because I feel like she probably is that kind of person, do you know she's changing her name to Marie-Louise Truman Truman in a few weeks? Can you believe that? Because of a marriage and then she wants to keep the middle name. I just thought that was quality. Um... So Truman's going to be one of the sons. She's the younger son because, I don't know, I sense you a little bit like that in your own way. And Rian was the older, da- the older son because, again, she was kind of like that. And she's a good Christian family girl. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so on. And what happens is there's a dad, and the younger son comes to the, comes to the dad and said, I want half of your estate now. Um, in other words, I wish you were dead. And I want my money now. Any of you have done that? It doesn't go down too well when you do, I guess. Um, But in our day and age, it's not unheard of. In their day and age, massively unlikely. But the dad says, all right, go for it. Here you go, here's some money. And he goes away to a foreign country and he spends all of it in recklessness and wild living. (laughs) I'd love to see Truman go crazy, wouldn't you? Okay? And the goat spends it and as a result of spending all of his money, then a famine hits the country. He's spent it all. He spent it all on, we then later hear, on prostitution and just crazy, you know, a lot of the stuff that we would very quickly say, oh, evil things like that. And we'd be right. But he spent it all on. And eventually he comes to his senses and he thinks, I've got nothing to eat. Um, So I'm going to go and work for somebody, anybody, just to make sure I've got enough to eat. And he finds himself sitting amongst pigs. Um, and he's working with pigs, which again, if you're a Jewish man, which this father is, this is a dis- disgraceful scenario. Okay, They are not kosher pigs. They're not halal either. You can't, you can't eat them. Um, and you can't even get anywhere near them because otherwise you're filthy. And so Truman is wallowing around with the pigs. Nice miming of the word wallow there. And as she's feeding these pigs, she decides, I'm just going to eat some of the pods because I'm so hungry. And she's just desperate for food. And eventually she comes to her senses and she says, this is crazy. My father and his house and my brother in their house, they have more than enough. What I'll do is I will go to my father and I will tell him that I'm sorry and could he please take me on as a servant? I want to work for him. So she comes back and she just sort of thinks she's even rehearsing what she's going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your servant. Treat I'm not worthy to be your servant. Treat me like a hired man. And so she's walking home and the father is looking out and he sees her. And as he sees her, he runs towards that and throws his arms around her and says, Yes! My son is back! My son is home! He was lost and now is alive again. Was was dead and now is alive. was lost and now is found. Come in! I'm going to give a ring in your finger. I'm going to kill the fatted calf which is basically means a celebration for the whole village. A calf is far too big for one family. So it says, all the neighbours, all the neighbours who are publicly shamed by your behaviour are going to come together and celebrate. Isn't it great? And they all start dancing. But there's a problem. Because, as many of you will know, there's a second son in the story. We tend to call it the parable of the lost son. But it's actually a parable about two lost sons. Because this one over here... He hears the noise. He's out working in the fields. And he hears the dancing and he says, what's going on? And somebody says, well, your, your brother's returned. Isn't it great? Come in and join the party. The father's killed the fatted car for him. What does Rian do? Yeah, it's pretty much like that. That's the sulky face. It's the fold arms, shake of the head. Arguably even turn your back to me, actually. She's pretty annoyed because she also pines for a sense of identity from her father. The lost son has explo- This son has explored it in one way, she's exploring it in another way, and she gets pretty angry, and the father has to come out and say, no, come on, come inside. Isn't it wonderful? Your son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Come in and join the party. But this guy, he refuses to go in, which is, a, again, a huge slap in the face in a Middle Eastern village if a son says that to the father. A mass- he's as rebellious in his own way as this son is which we miss because we're Western people, not Eastern people. But actually, this is extremely embarrassing and rude to the dad. And so this son, and the story ends, funnily enough, with the father entreating him, having to leave his party, come outside and say, please come in. And do you know what? Luke 15, 32, the story ends without you ever finding out whether or not he did. There's two lost sons. Thanks, guys, you can go sit down. There's two lost sons in that story, not one. The younger one, Truman, is lost in a very conventional way. The way in which most of you, as Christians, as people who go to church, as, if I can use this word for a moment, religious people, would understand lostness. Right? We, we look at the young son, he's obviously lost. Prostitution, gambling, spending all his dad's money, rebellious to his parents, crazy kid. All right? He's obviously lost. What we don't realize is that the older brother is actually just as lost. So the younger ones tried to find out who he is by the the journey of self-discovery, by experimentation. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's his journey. He's like, if I could just go out there and spend loads of money and have loads of experiences, I will find out maybe who I am. And he's very obviously sinned against his father. And that's classic hedonism. That is, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the kind of thing that some of the famous philosophers of the last 60, 70 years have done. John Paul Sartre and Michel Foucault, they'd say, yeah... There's nothing. There's no God and therefore just live a crazy life. Do whatever makes you feel good because actually there's nothing more to it than that. And the younger son's believed something a bit like that and he's gone out and lived that way. He's obviously lost. But the older brother's just as lost. He's trying to find out who he is through hard work, diligence, commitment, loyalty. And the weird thing is he is just as distant from relationship with his father as the younger brother. He's resented his father for many years. We read this phrase in the text. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate. He's, in other words, for years, he's been working away resenting his father. Angry that his father has never acknowledged and rewarded the work he's done. He's built his relationship on his father with work. He said, these many years I have served and worked for you And you've never even rewarded me. He's built his relationship on work and effort. And as a result, he shames his father by refusing to go in. And at the end of the story, the younger brother's been found and the older one is still lost. That's classic moralism. The younger son is hedonism. Go crazy, as Truman said, aptly mimed. The older brother is lost in a very different way. Which are you? You might be lost in the traditional sense, going crazy, living it up, knowing that it doesn't actually tell you who you are. Or you might be a lost religious person. You might be a lost person whose definition of who they are comes from what they do, how, they, how hard they work, how moral, upright they are. That's what most religious people do. Most religious people you know are lost because they're like Ryan. I'm standing here with their arms folded, shaking their head. Can't believe the stuff these scallies get up to. He's just as lost. He's just as divorced from relationship with his father. And as the story closes, the frightening warning is that the younger son is found and the older one is still lost. So the younger son's journey is, the he's basically bought into the false gospel of Self-discovery. If I can just do enough crazy things, I will find out who I am. And that is the false gospel, or the solution, that's peddled by the porn industry. Drug pushers. The travel industry experiences everything. No, it's not. A lot of people have done a lot of traveling are much less happy than you. But it always fails, that false gospel. The one that the the younger son did. The porn, drug, whatever it is, travel gospel. I'm not saying, by the way, travel is wrong at all. I'm just saying, that doesn't meet the, meet the need that the heart has, and the younger son doesn't find it works, and he has to come home and say, I'm sorry. It always fails. Experiences, sex, drugs, money, none of them are big enough to tell you who you are. But the older one tried to find out who he was in actually quite a similar way. But he said, instead, I'm, I'm going I'm to do not the gospel of self-discovery, I want to do the gospel of self-improvement. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to be better. And that solution is peddled by the religious industry, human pride, politics, Freemasonry, the self-help industry. You go to Waterstones, there's do you have a Waterstones in Winchester. Imagine you've got row upon row of bookshelves saying how you can be better. Tragically, Christians talk like that as well. As if that is the point. That's not how the older son gets into relationship with his father. He doesn't just try a bit harder, dig a few more shovels, plant a few more seeds, plough a few more fields. There's something fundamentally wrong with his heart that needs to change. And he's just as lost. Funnily enough, the older brother's problem leads to exactly the same thing as the younger one, and that is the separation from the father because of lostness. How many, anybody here ever read the, the story of Jekyll and Hyde? Okay, one or two. Well, it's an amazing story, written by Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island. And it's a story about a man who devises a potion that will divide up his good nature from his bad nature. For the sake of this parable, he divides up his older brother from his younger brother in a potion, good and bad. And the guy, the good guy is Dr. Jekyll, and he's alive in the day. And all the bad is concentrated into Mr. Hyde, who's alive at night. So he's got these kind of split personalities. And there's this amazing moment towards the end of the book when he stopped, he's not using the potion anymore and he's saying, actually, Dr. Jekyll is a good man. And I'm very pleased about that. And he's living as Dr. Jekyll and he's sitting in Regent's Park. And he says this, I resolved in my future conduct to redeem the past. And I can say with honesty that my resolve was fruitful of some good. You know how earnestly in the last months of last year I laboured to relieve suffering. You know that much was done for others. But as I smiled, comparing myself with other men, comparing my active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of their neglect, at the very moment of that vainglorious thought, a qualm came over me, a horrid nausea and the most dreadful shuddering, I was once more Edward Hyde. What he says is, in my moment of pride and moralism, I had become the very guy I'd rejected. I became the same villain that I thought I'd avoided because the pride in my heart took all the credit for it and said, isn't it wonderful that I'm not like other men? Oh no, I've become just like them. Jekyll and Hyde could be the older son and the younger son. It could be the religious person and the absolute tearaway. Both of them are lost That's why religious people can be so unattractive. I don't mean all Christians. You hear what I'm not saying, but religious people can be very unattractive because they'll stand here, arms folded, looking over their shoulder. I'm glad I'm not like that. If you get to that point, you may well be just as lost as the guy over here. I was once more Edward Hyde. So what's the answer? There's option number one, self-discovery. Option number two, self-improvement. Every lost person you know tries one of those two things and probably finds out it doesn't work. The only thing big enough in this story for the brothers to be reconciled is to understand that their relationship with their father is not based on what they do. It is based on coming back, saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I need to be in relationship with you. Will you please tell me who I am and I will come and be in your family and do your will. Doesn't mean being better. It doesn't mean being worse. It means being sorry and saying, help me, help me. I'm lost. Will you find me? Will you tell me who I am? And the only person able to do that in human history is Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why I think that's true. You see, if Jesus, Jesus described, again, you may or may not believe the Bible here this morning, but historical evidence suggests that Jesus did, was taken to saying things like, The Son of Man is here to seek and save what was lost. And he told lots of stories about lost people, sheep, coins. He was talking about lostness a lot. Jesus certainly saw himself in some way, not just from scripture but from history, as being somebody who came to answer the problem of lostness in the human race. That's how he saw himself. And the reason why Jesus was qualified to do that is because he's the only person who's ever lived, who's known exactly who he is, where he's come from, and where he's going. Imagine, to take that point about the Martian again, what are they trying to decide? The only person in the world who would not find himself in that category would be somebody who would come from another world into this one. If everything in this world is comparing with one another, in order to sort it out, we need someone to come from another world. We need someone to come from heaven itself to tell us, actually, I don't define myself by you. I know exactly who I am. And that's exactly the type of picture that historical records give us of Jesus. People said to him, we're going to crown you king over Rome. And he said, no, I'm not that guy. I know who I am. People said, you're a miracle worker. Can you perform a stunt for us, please? And he said, no, I'm not that guy. I know who I am. Other people came and said, come on, you're going to lead a popular rebellion and overthrow the Romans. Why don't you hide from Herod for a while? And he said, no, I'm not that guy either. I know who I am. And people said... You're just Joseph's son. You're the local Chippy's son. You're James's brother, Mary's son. He said, no, I'm not that guy. I know who I am. People said, Satan even came to him and said, you're the rightful heir of the world. Why don't you take charge of it now and just don't worry about the cross? And he said, no, I'm not that guy. I know who I am. Even as he's dying on the cross, again, history tells us there's somebody standing to his right who says, aren't you the Christ?" Save yourself and us. In other words, if you're the Messiah, get off this cross and get me off with you. And he said, no, I'm not that guy. I know who I am. Jesus didn't need anybody else to tell him who he was. Heaven had opened, which it does at the start of the story the Bible tells us about him. And a voice had come and said, this is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him. I know who I am, Jesus says. You can't tell me who I am, which means you can't get me to do anything. You've got nothing on me. I know exactly what I'm here for. I know exactly where I'm going. And as a result of all that, Jesus is the one person able to tell you who you are. Because he doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what Satan thinks. He doesn't care what anybody out there thinks of him, except if it means that they're going to come back to their father and say, I've sinned against you. I want to be in your family again. He says to you things like this. Let me tell you who you are. You are your father's child. You are not my servant, which is a relationship based on work. You're my son or my daughter, which is a relationship based on grace. You were dead, but you're alive now. You were lost, but now you're found. That's what Jesus says, can say to you today, Jesus can tell you if you don't, if you're not a believer in Jesus at the moment, you've never been baptized in water, that's often a good way of checking it out and knowing. And say, if you haven't been baptized in water today, which probably a whole bunch of you haven't, Jesus, can, Jesus wants to say to you, I want to tell you who you are. I want you to stop looking for the answer to your lostness in all of these places hard work or being crazy or whatever it is. I want you to come and ask me and I'll tell you who you are. You're my child. You were dead, you are alive again, you were lost, now you're found. And so when Jesus died and rose again, he gave everybody who believed in him a new identity. He said, if anyone's in Christ, new creation. Old, whether it's the young or the older brother, old's gone. New has come. So if any young woman is in Christ, she is no longer lost, but found. She's a new creation. The bitch has gone. It's become new. The model has gone. She's become new. If any young man is in Christ, he's not lost, he's found. He's a new creation. The stud has gone. Behold, the new has come. The center of attention has gone. Behold, the new has come. There's young people here today, I'm particularly targeting because I believe God wants to reveal this to you and tell you you don't have to be that guy or that girl. It's gone. New's come. If a religious person is in Christ... They're not lost but found. They're a new creation. The well-behaved do-gooder who does everything right has gone. The new has come. So there's a God. And there's a problem, which is lostness. And there's three possible ways of solving it. Experimentation and self-discovery. Moralism and hard work. Or Jesus. The unconditional acceptance and grace of God given to you, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. And in him, you're able to die to your old identity and get a new one. I'm pretty sure that some people here are a bit lost in some way, shape or form. So I'm going to, maybe if just while I'm doing this, the band could just come out and